Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I asked Twitter, I said, is there some sort of sticky note in the Oval Office with the password to the POTUS account that this administration has to hand over to the next administration? You know, I know because I covered when the Obama administration transferred to the Trump administration, the plan that they put in place and they had spreadsheets and, you know, all these processes for like handing over the accounts. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. Press sec, you know, POTUS, V POTUS, all that sort of thing. They had, it was very deliberate on the White House blog. They had a detailed plan that they laid out. And at the close of Donald Trump's presidency and four plus years of lots and lots and lots and lots of tweeting. All right, here we go. And I said, okay, there's no way that the Trump folks are doing this. And so what happens? I'm in conversation with Politico technology reporter Nancy Scola. I mean, I was actually really interested in just the nuts and bolts of the password transfer. Yeah. And so I asked Twitter, and I kind of thought they weren't going to answer, right? Because why would you? (laughs) Why provoke Trump? But they quite literally don't care anymore. So they came back and said, yeah, no, don't worry about it. We're taking the password from Trump, no matter if he concedes or not. The keys to the POTUS account get transferred over to the Biden administration at noon on Inauguration Day. That's uh, for the official POTUS account. The challenge is that President Trump has used his unofficial account, so it's at real Donald Trump. He's used that throughout his presidency as sort of his main channel of communications. What happens with that account gets a little bit more complicated. The presidential transfer of power on Twitter, how the National Archives is handling this, and what the next chapter of the Trump-Twitter relationship could look like. President Trump has really invested all his energy and his great deal of energy he devotes to Twitter, he mostly puts to that unofficial account. And that's the account. His POTUS account is the one that has 33 million followers. But his personal account, at real Donald Trump, has 88 million followers. And I would say that's the account that most people tend to follow. If you are a journalist who gets notifications, you probably get them from at real Donald Trump account. So it's a seismic difference. Exactly. You know, when President Obama handed over the keys to the POTUS account, it got archived by the National Archives. He was the first president to have a Twitter account. Um, He didn't even get it until 2015. So it was really the tail end of his presidency. So there's not a lot of history with what you do with presidential Twitter accounts. But President Obama worked with the National Archives to come up with a plan to archive the tweets on his official POTUS account. They scrubbed the account clean and they handed over the keys to the Trump administration. With the Trump's use of his personal account, the National Archives has said that they're going to keep track of all those tweets. So there is an official record. So historians can go back and take a look at what the president was tweeting throughout his four years. Uh, (laughs) But they won't do the same sort of, you know, putting on mothballs that that they did with the um, POTUS account under President Obama. You know, you cover Twitter's business side. So can you talk a little bit about the tightrope that Twitter has been walking for the last four years? Yeah, so it was interesting when I was talking to Twitter executives about how they're going to handle the outgoing Trump presidency. They talked about how the fact that when the early days of Twitter, when it came to politicians on the service, what they were worried about was politicians were going to get abused, right? So they were worried that President Obama was going to come on Twitter, people were going to be mean to him, he wasn't going to want to come back. They weren't really worried that politicians themselves would be doing the abuse. So when President Trump got on Twitter, started using it very aggressively, started using it by naming and shaming his political enemies, that sort of thing, Twitter had to scramble. And so they came up with this policy that they called the world leaders policy. You know, they never said it was directed at Trump. It was quite clearly directed at Trump um, to say that a world leader could violate 
Twitter's terms of service on things like abuse and targeted harassment and still keep their accounts, still keep their tweets live. And the thinking there was people should know if the president of the United States is abusing people on Twitter. If this is the way his mind works, it's better for people to be able to see that. It was also kind of a graceful way out for Twitter. It meant that they didn't have to take President Trump's account down. Mm -hmm. That lasted for some period of time. People thought Trump was kind of getting away with murder on Twitter. People were upset about that. And so Twitter rolled out a revision to that policy to say, if you're a world leader, you tweet things that break our terms of service, you still can stay up on the service, but we're going to label your tweets. And that's what they started doing pretty aggressively to Donald Trump within the last months of his presidency. He would tweet about COVID. He'd tweet about the election. And they would start labeling those tweets. And sometimes hiding them. And sometimes hiding them, which was a a very aggressive step they eventually took. But they're still there. They still exist on Twitter. Um, They also restricted people's ability to retweet them, which I think probably drove President Trump crazy. But it was it was a way of Twitter to say, you know, we realize how important it is for Donald Trump to have this voice on Twitter for people to be able to to hear what he's thinking day in and day out. Um, And so they kind of came up with a special exemption. The deal is, though, Twitter has, you know, I asked them about this within the recent months and I said, you know, is he still covered by the world leader policy when he leaves office? Because it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be president of the United States. You just have to be a sort of significant figure in world politics. Mm-hmm. And they said, yep, once Joe Biden takes the oath of office, Donald Trump's no longer covered by this policy. If he breaks the rules enough, he's going to get kicked off like any other Twitter user. Well, but that's so interesting, though, because so if we think about January 20th, when Donald Trump is no longer president. Yeah. In, he don't, no longer is under the world leader exemption that you're talking about. But then he's also kind of said that he may run in 2024. Mm-hmm. And depending on when that campaign starts, isn't there also an exemption for like candidates running? So is there sort of a world in which he gets booted and it comes back? There's, you know, bo- once booted, you're booted. They probably wouldn't let him back on the platform. So it is sort of like... If there is a window, if he were to run again in 2024 and win and Twitter hasn't booted him off by then, they will have pretty much lost their opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's In some ways, it's very interesting because it's a 180. For years, the, the story about Twitter and Trump was that they let him run wild. They took no enforcement action against him. He could do things that other users uh, couldn't. Now, the sort of opposite of that has occurred over the last couple of years when they've taken, they've started taking very aggressive actions against him. It's gotten them into a lot of trouble, um, right? particularly with the Republicans. So, you know, it's not without consequences, right, that they've mm-hmm. uh, taken some of these actions. They just kind of feel comfortable with it. Like they're a stronger company than they were. Um, they're a more uh, financially viable company than they were in the past. And they're kind of just ready to make some of these tough decisions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so interesting, though, in terms of conservatives being frustrated with Twitter, we're seeing these more uh, these apps like Parler mm-hmm. and Rumble kind of come into play, which don't have any that don't have the same standards. And I think what's interesting is, like, are they a flash in the pan or is that a place? Does that become yeah. kind of a competitor to Twitter? I mean, they're so much smaller now, but it's tough because Parler is is it's small and it's focused on conservatives and Republicans and fostering that conversation. You look at somebody like Trump, the reason he likes Twitter is because he wants to be in this broader public conversation. He wants to reach journalists. That's Donald Trump's MO for decades now, right? He wants he wants publications to be writing about him. So if he goes over to Parler and completely cuts off Twitter, he loses 
that public voice. So I don't see that happening for Trump. Mm-hmm. I think what it ends up probably happening is you see Parler become sort of a secondary medium, it's sort of a specialized, you know, people use Facebook and Instagram for different purposes. I think you'll see Parler become more of a place for conservatives to talk to each other, but they're, I don't think they're uh, abandoning Twitter anytime soon. Mm-hmm. One of the things about Twitter is they had this world leaders policy. It was pretty much, even they didn't really deny that it was directed at Trump. And the idea was so people could see the way that Trump thinks about the world. Mm-hmm. People thought that was a cop-out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want to make these tough decisions. They want Trump to be able to say whatever he wants to say because they don't want to be faced with, you know, <laughs> cracking down on the president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You talk to people inside Twitter, and they really did kind of believe that it was good for people to see the way that Trump thought about the world because then they might not want to back the guy mm-hmm. anymore. And that's something that the Twitter founder, Jack, has said in interviews. Yeah. So Jack Dorsey was on the Joe Rogan show. Boom. Hello, Jack. What's up? And, you know, Joe Rogan said... The president of the United States uses Twitter to threaten other countries. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) Who the fuck saw that coming? You know, in the colorful Joe Rogan sort of way, I won't quit it here, but he said, you know, you see Trump on Twitter, and I think the word he used was, you know, he looks like a madman. He's just this fucking madman. And man. Jack Dorsey, who's always pretty careful about his politics, he doesn't, you know, necessarily express that he doesn't like President Trump in most settings, said something like, yes, but isn't it better for people to see that? But isn't it important to understand that? Yes. And to see it exactly. and like to it. Hopefully that informs opinions and actions. And then they can make their decisions based on that view of the president. Yeah. And you can look at Twitter and say, okay, that was like key to his presidency. It was like his best weapon. You know, it was the tool he used to engage so successfully. You could also really look at it and say, that's what made him a one-term president. Right? Because if you separate out, if we do an alternative history where we don't have Trump's tweets, he seems like a fairly standard politician in some ways, Mm -hmm. right? There are moments that he wasn't, like the Charlottesville speech, that sort of thing, where you thought, oh my gosh, this is really sort of outside the mainstream of American politics. But most of the stuff he'll be remembered for is stuff that really he said on Twitter, started on Twitter, fights he engaged in on on Twitter. Mm -hmm. So people inside Twitter really do kind of think like, we gave you a window into this guy's psyche. The American people saw that and 83 million of them said, nope. That's not the kind of guy we want as president of the United States. So, you know, they kind of made a bet on that. And if you think that Trump should no longer be president, you look at Twitter and say, in retrospect, maybe they made a smart decision. Here's exhibit A. Yeah, it wasn't us just kind of letting him do whatever he wants to do. It was us making clear exactly what kind of a president he is. Well, you know, it is kind of this remarkable four years. And I was looking online and when he started his presidential campaign in 2015, I think he had around 3 million Twitter followers. And now he's up to 88 million. So yeah, (laughs) he's really had a, you know, growth in audience. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he's he's still as provocative on Twitter as he's been in the past while president because he can get kicked off. And he doesn't want to lose that account, right? I mean, There's two possibilities. He doesn't want to lose that account because he has so many followers on it and he likes being listened to. The other possibility is he wants to start up some sort of media platform, social media platform, and getting kicked off is a way of driving his followers to that new Mm-hmm. organization so that's I think it's entirely entirely possible he tries really hard to keep his Twitter account and I think it's entirely possible he tries really hard to get kicked off <laughs> stay tuned thanks so much Nancy this has been great thank you Nancy Scola is a technology reporter for Politico the Politico dispatch production team includes Jeremy Siegel Jenny Ament, and Sadiq Reddy our executive producer is Irene Noguchi 
I'm Annie Reese. Thanks for listening.